2: afternoon tea with host sammy sage is that what you're saying please proceed governor presented by the Betches Sup podcast you
3: better hope there's a lot of girls listening to this with the volume turned down
2: your weekly dose of political therapy
3: cardi
1: that's what i've been doing my whole life and now with this week's guest. well there were three of us
0: in this
3: marriage so it was a bit crowded
0: your host sammy sage Welcome to today's episode of Afternoon Tea, your companion to the morning announcements and weekly political therapy session brought to you by The Betches Sup. Today's guest is Molly jong Jongfast, editor-at-large at The Daily Beast, Vogue contributor, and host of the podcast The New Abnormal. Molly is here to talk with me about what to make of the Republican Party these days, if there will ever be accountability for Donald Trump, and what it was like to be a participant in a vaccine trial. With that, let's get the tea from Molly molly welcome back we had you on earlier in the pandemic but so much has changed since then
2: how are you doing it's funny i'm glad no one can see us but like my hair is out to here and i look like i'm gonna die so yeah i'm good you know the thing is and i wrote this piece for vogue this weekend about this like i have had this very privileged pandemic experience right like i haven't you know there are all these people who have like had to work and deliver food and work in restaurants and drive taxis when it hasn't been safe right so i've had this very privileged experience of being able to like stay home and not go anywhere and stay safe largely and so in that sense it's been fine and like as you and i both know there are like lines around the block for food banks and soup kitchens and like, American society is crumbling. So my experience has been very, very lucky. And so I don't want to complain. But in the same sense, it's been very weird. And I think that we all have had this kind of, straight, you know, it's been a year where lar- mostly I've sat on the sofa and watched television. I mean, and, like, I've also done the Peloton, <laughs> like, for a that's more activity than I've had, honestly. Oh, man, that fucking Peloton, like the relationship I have with that. You know, I look at I'm like, I hate you. I'm like, 75 minutes. Got to go. That's a lot. That's a long class. I mean, if people are like, well, do you like this teacher or that teacher? And I'm like, I turn it off and watch CNN. <laughs> Just so bad. <laughs>
0: People ask me that too. Like, what do you like? What do you like? Which workout instructor do you like? I'm like, I don't care. I'm just watching the video so that I can listen to a podcast. Often your podcast. So
2: yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. It's one of my favorites. Gets me through
2: the days. I mean, it's interesting because it's like there aren't that many podcasts that like there are a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of really good podcasts. But I think um, to have something where it's newsy. But you could all, you know, and it's a lot of these people where you want to hear what they have to say. Like we have Congressman Nagus coming up, who's the youngest impeachment manager ever. And I'm like, he was great. I'm obsessed he was with him. Great. It's like so weird to me that you have a state like Colorado where you have Congressman Nagus, right? He's like the youngest impeachment manager ever. He's amazing. His, he was born and, you know, his parents came from Africa. They are like first generation immigrants. He's like so brilliant. And then you have Lauren Boper, <laughs> She's also from Colorado yeah. <laughs> You know The gun congresswoman you know. It's funny
0: because I was thinking that Because I was reading David Perdue's um, Like his announcement that he wants To potentially run again And he's like saying how like Georgia's not really A blue state and we now Have the most like radical liberal senators From Georgia but like I'm the true Georgia and It's true like what is the real Colorado Is it Jonah Goose or is it Lauren Boebert, you know, and the thing that's so weird about Laur- Lauren Boebert
2: is Aspen. She's Aspen, is Colorado. She? Like, think of the people you know who live in Aspen, Colorado. Like, big, rich
0: liberals. Yeah, but but no one who lives there year round. Does she uh, lives there? Live there. She
2: lives near there, but her district includes Aspen. That's fascinating. So, I mean, I think, and it, I mean, what's so interesting to me about Georgia? I have to say like i was during that impeachment i was listening when they said senator ossoff you know i got a little chill <laughs> but you know senator warnock is the 11th african-american senator ever like think about that 11.
0: The, no the senate the senate sort of fancies itself this like very serious body but the quality has really <laughs> gone down a lot um I've definitely wanted to talk to you about the acquittal. Like, how are you how are you interpreting?
2: You know what's funny about the acquittal is I thought for sure he would get off. I think every betting man had thought that he would get off. But then what was so funny was when he did get off, it was horrible. Like it actually was horrible. Yeah. Everybody knew it was going to happen and it was the most bipartisan impeachment ever, right? we all knew that this was like and and yet it was awful like it just there was something about it that was just mm-hmm. like and you know he had this he had announced that he was going to go on a victory tour which was and there just was like this mm-hmm. awful kind of a lot of people made this terrifying parallel to like hitler when he first in 19 you know in the early 30s it was really Horrible and scary and awful. So I was surprised I felt as terrible as I did afterwards.
0: It's those moments where, like, you know, the Republicans would. It's, right. There's nothing they wouldn't do. So you're like, you're like, OK, they'll do anything. But then in the moments when they actually do it, it's like a little piece of America yeah. died. I, I mean, I question how much I really say that because it's like, did it really like this is sort of aligned. But maybe it's maybe it's more like a little piece of the hopeful person who grew up like had her formative years in like most of her 20s with Barack Obama being the president. I come from a place where it's like, okay, the right thing can happen. You know, we're moving forward. But I guess we're just like, really not moving forward. And the Hitler comparison is very appropriate.
2: I mean, it is this interesting thing. I don't, I come from, you know, I'm 42. So I'm older than you are. And so I grew up with like, reagan winning i mean when i was young and me being like Mm. you know and i remember bush won going to war and thinking that we were all going to die so you've thought this a few times (laughs) yeah so i've had i mean the joke is like when i was pregnant with my first kid my husband and i went and protested the iraq war ii for bush and yeah and we were like this guy is going to kill us all so to have a president who actually will who actually did kill half a million of us is it, it's just so scary and bad. Yeah. So it's pretty bad. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is the theme of the conversation. It's really bad. Yeah. OK. I have to ask, why do you think that the senators ultimately voted to acquit like does it, like why does Mitch McConnell not want
2: to sideline Trump? I think what has happened here, so and remember, a yeah. bunch did, right? Ben Sass and a bunch of people who I didn't, who I didn't think would do the right thing did the right thing. So in some ways, I was um, happy about that. like that felt like a win because it, it's like a sign that bipartisanship, it's not bipartisanship, but it's a sign that some people in the Senate will actually do the right thing. In my mind, I think what happened was that there were the way the Republican Party is set up. There's no reward for doing the right thing. Right. And a lot of these people didn't want primary challengers. A lot of these people didn't. You know, it's this weird phenomenon where the Republican Party has really become anti-democracy. Yeah. You know, they don't think of democracy as like the end game. They're a small party. They're trying to keep control. They know the demographics are shifting. And they know, I mean, remember the number, there was some statistic, like the amount of senators who voted to impeach represented 20. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like the blue states have more people in them and there are more blue states, but because the way the Republicans have figured out how to game the system, we Democrats are in a disadvantage. So he wanted to have it both ways. He gave that speech that was like, I he, because he wants the corporate money, right? All this corporate money went away when the insurrection happened because corporations don't like. It turns out capitalism yeah, is not like a coup, so that's good news. I mean, as much as any of this is good news, because there is no good news not to be depressive or anything. But capitalism doesn't like a coup, and so you know it's just a whole thing. So I would say he tried. He gave that speech that was like, we don't like coups, but. Before that happened, he voted because he didn't want, I mean, look, he just got reelected. I don't think he's running again. He's quite old. He's very rich. He doesn't have, you know, a long political career ahead of him. But I do think that he wants to try to keep his caucus together, right? Power is the thing for this guy. And 2022 is going to be a year with a lot of a lot of drama and, you know, a, a map that looks very bad for Republicans. So I would say that I think he wanted to try and keep his caucus together. So he voted with Trump because he needs Trump for those primaries, right? Like, and there are seats, I mean, there are seats, you know, Alabama, I mean, these places, people are retiring and he's going to need Trump. Alabama, he's not so worried about, but like an Ohio or Pennsylvania or And it's a bad map for Republicans. He would like to get it back. I don't think he wants to end his career in the Senate as minority leader. And so I think it was like the most craven thing he could do, which was appeal to the corporations, get the money back, but in the same sense, not alienate the Trumpers.
0: Yeah, you're right. It almost would make no sense that he would do anything else when you sort of think about it.
3: do you have for Dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now.
0: How strange do you think it is that Trump is still casting this sort of control over the party even when he's not on Twitter, he's not on Facebook as of now. Like, how is he maintaining control? Like, he like those press releases, who cares? Is it just that he's going to, like, build a parlor, a Fox News audience, but...
2: I think the thing, though, Trump, that's been really interesting is just how cowardly Republicans have been. Like, this whole time, right? You would ask them and they'd be like, I haven't seen the tweet, except for the ones who were like, I love Trump. And if I have to kill, you know, a woman to prove it, I'll happily, you know. So I I do think that largely these Republicans are pretty cowardly and they don't want to stand up to him. I think also some of it is Trump has galvanized the Republican base in a way that no other Republican candidate has. Right. It's not like, I mean, Mitt Romney happens to be a much better human. That's without right. I don't think that's a controversial statement in any way. But yeah, but unfortunately for the world, <laughs> Mitt Romney does not have a hold on people <laughs> the way Trump does. Trump had this very charismatic way about him, and people love to cover him. Media love to cover him. And you know, he just was charismatic, and these supporters loved him. And he he did a lot of really sleazy stuff, I mean and criminal stuff, and God knows what else. But he captured their imagination in a way that I don't know that other Republican presidents have. I think Republicans are sort of with at sea. I also think there's a sense in which party never really has a leader until it has a nominee. So right. like, if you look right. back two years ago, would you say, who would you say is the head of the Democratic Party, right? It wasn't Hillary. Right. I mean, maybe, but Obama really wasn't around, right? It's like kind of a Bernie Hillary two headed monster. Well, they're just like maybe it's Nancy because she's the high. It was the highest level elected Democrat. I mean, it's just like a party doesn't really have a leader until it does. So that's why I would say this Trump thing. It's like, yes, he's the leader, but he's also I mean, I think about this a lot because people are like, well, he's still the head of the party. And I'm like, yes and no, like his power is definitely diminished. The fact that seven Republican senators voted against him is a real sign that it's diminished. The fact that Mitch McConnell was like, look, court of law, if you want to use this, good luck to you. So I would say I don't think it's really diminished quite the same way. Right. I mean, I did
0: see a poll this morning that was like it was ranking basically all the Republicans and he got like 53 percent. And the next highest person was like Mike Pence, who got 12 percent, something really embarrassing. (laughs) I mean, like how how can the Republicans feel safe when this man literally tried to kill a member of their own party?
2: And why do they think that it won't be them? That is the strange truth of Trumpism, right, is that nobody ever thinks it'll be them until it is right Which makes me feel like the hold he has
0: over the party is really more of like a cult-esque hold than it is... And you said it's like, it's a small party. So the core of the Republican Party is like that small cult. It was clearly on a different page about the democracy we do or don't live in the whole time. And they just had no one to
2: sort of guide them to that. I think that's right. I also think that we are, you know... The, the, the pro, I mean, I always think that this is the big problem is the messaging, right? Republicans have Fox News and they have all of these right wing media outlets and these right wing media outlets are so clear on their message. I mean, I was just writing this piece about how they've started blaming Nancy Pelosi for the Capitol riots and yeah. it's like, but they they have a whole thing like it's her fault because she should have been in charge because they always have a whole thing. Right. And again, I was like the messaging of it was like these four Republican congressmen sent the letter. Then Jason Chaffetz, who used to be a Republican congressman, wrote a letter, wrote a, an opinion piece on fox.com. Then Sean Hannity did a story on it that night. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's like they were so right. It's like an ecosystem. And like you don't have that in mainstream media because mainstream media doesn't operate like that. And because you have the right media saying mainstream media is biased, you have the mainstream media pushing further to the right. So you have this really bad kind of weird central, you know, sort of entropy, which is really scary and bad.
0: Yeah, I think also on the left, like, there's a lot more hand-wringing. There's a lot more like, oh, like, let's look for something to find wrong with Biden so that we can say we cover him equally. And then they're writing about, like, Mina Harris. And it's like, who gives a fuck about what Mina Harris is doing? It's just like, it's so frustrating.
2: I think that they are in a situation where they're not going to be, there really isn't going to be ahead of the party until there is. It It will be... I think it will be like I've read this thing that said that if a party loses three times, they start to get the idea that what they're doing isn't working. Right. But if he but so if in, if they get shellacked in 2022 and remember, they're all set up to not because Democrats control all three levers of Congress, of you know Congress, the Senate, the presidency. But if they get shellacked in 2022, that I think will be the end of Trump. Do you think there's any chance that he could be held criminally liable? And like house Mitch McConnell said that he could be held criminally liable. Um, do I think there's do I think he will? Do you think he will? Like he's never been held criminally liable for real. I mean, I am reminded of OJ. Right? That was like a big case when I was growing up. And it was like Yeah. Everybody knew that O.J. did it. Right. Like it was like not, you know, there was no other there were no other suspects. Right. And he behaved like a guilty person and he got off. But he then committed all these other crimes and ended up in jail. And that's kind of my feeling about Trump is it's like a little bit like O.J.
0: Do you like that he could get in jail for something else? I mean, there's endless things. And to think that no one's even considering looking into his actions about the pandemic, which there's been reporting all along that they were corrupt and nepotistic and horrible. The fact that like no one's even thinking, oh, how could we hold him accountable for the half a million people who died from coronavirus? Like that that's so far out of the realm of options is just kind of is kind of crazy.
2: I think he could be a civil, uh, there, he, there could be civil cases for the rest of his life. For example, like things like, Where they, I mean, where people can sue. Think about all the Capitol rioters who said things like, Trump told me I'm part of his army. Trump wants us here. You know, they said to the police, Trump sent us here. I mean, obviously, and even that was what Mr. McConnell. The flags, And that's what Mr. McConnell said was like (laughs) that Trump teed it up. So in that sense, like, could the family of the murdered police officer, could they sue? Could the six people who died in the insurrection or five other people who died in the insurrection, could they sue? I think they're the civil questions. And that's why Trump's been so quiet is because he's worried about the civil cases, which could be millions of dollars. I haven't understood his his quiet at all, like.
0: I was I I don't know what I was listening to. Maybe it was your podcast. Maybe it was a different one where they were saying how
2: he's like enjoying being like low key or something. I think he's just I mean, I think there are two things. One, he's not on social media, so he has no place to like go do a crazy tweet. But the other thing is, I think he's really genuinely worried about these civil cases because remember, Trump doesn't have, you know, he's raised money. But there's that money can only be used for certain things. It can't be. And this um, these lawyers for the impeachment were quite expensive and he couldn't use the White House counsel, which he had used last time. So, it, you know, he ended up, I think. Right. I think he's concerned about his financial situation. <laughs> OK, one can hope if he can only
0: get these right. kind of like clowns for the impeachment.
2: How is he going to get any? Lawyer? I think what's going to happen is that he is. Yeah. How is he going to get any lawyer? This is a good question. I think probably he's going to be able to sort of find the people that are, you know, available to him like that. You know, in the end, even though he didn't have such great lawyers, he won.
0: Right. It makes me mad that those lawyers technically get to count this as a win.
2: The lawyers were really bad and they were like hilariously bad. The problem with the lawyers is that they were, um, they were kind of, it didn't matter. Right. Because the deck, the deck was so stacked and you had jurors like Ta- Ted Cruz going in and meeting with the defense team. So I don't, you know, and Ron Johnson trying to, like, kill, Mitt, you know, screaming at Mitt Romney because Mitt Romney wanted witnesses. I mean, like, imagine a trial like this. It's like a satire. So I do think that it didn't. Yeah, it didn't matter. But, yeah, he's going to have shitty lawyers. But, you know, I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, he'll, he won't pay them. Today's episode
1: of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N U U L Y dot com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes.
0: Okay, the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to our final segment, the four questions, I want to talk about your experience in the vaccine trial because that is a pretty crazy experience can you just
2: tell us about it so i am like a very cowardly person one of my great i have like a terrible anxiety disorder and i'm extremely cowardly like you know i mean i had my children but like i barely did that because i was like hospitals blood i don't want to die I'm the same way. So the fact that you could have three kids is pretty um And my little twins who are not that little were made in a lab in New Jersey because we had this Jewish genetic disease. So oh. like they gave me this bag of needles when I started the IVF and I looked at it and I was like, I'm gonna pass it. Like I looked at this bag of needles and I was like, Oh die. But you did it. I did it. So and I gave yeah. myself some of those shots. But But so I've been very cowardly, but I grew, but because I had lived in the city in March and April of 2020, I've been pretty convinced I was going to die of COVID. And I had had, you know, everybody I knew, I had known a lot of people who had it. I had known a lot of people whose dads had died of it, like a lot like shockingly high. And I had known people were like, just, I mean, terrible, terrible stories. So I had decided that like, you know, I was very worried I was going to die of it. And then when these drug trials started coming up, I was like, I'm getting in a fucking drug trial, even though I am like the biggest coward in the world. I don't even like to have my blood drawn, but I was like, I, I don't want to die of COVID. I'm going to get in a trial. And, and, you know, I guess I was a little worried about the, you know, the thing they were injecting into me, but Right. I wasn't that worried. I don't know. I mean, I just felt like, you know, it is the first time MRNA vaccines have ever been used on humans. So, I mean, I was a little bit, nothing to worry about. But I had written to some doctors. I had some like doctor Twitter doctors. So I wrote to them and I said, you know, am I going to die? And they said, no. And, uh, and, you know, because the way these trials worked, a lot of doctors signed up for them, like a lot, like most, like my trial was like 20% medical professionals,
0: how did you know if you were going to get the placebo? Like, do you do you know yet if you got the
2: real thing? I got. Uh, yeah, we got. I got unblinded. But it was. The whole Which time. did you have? I had the placebo and then the vaccine. They gave us the vaccine at the end of the trap. OK, so that was the way it was set up. But and, you know, it was very like it was pretty, you know, they did it in a way that was the appropriate way for the state. I mean, it was a whole thing. But because I didn't have it in New York, I had it in Connecticut because I was part of Yale.
0: Got it. Wow. So was it once you had the you didn't know what you had, if you had the, the placebo or not? How did that feel? Like maybe I'm fully protected and maybe I'm not. I was
2: pretty careful because I knew that you that uh, that there was 50 50 shot and I didn't want to get it. So I just didn't do anything differently. And then And I've been pretty careful this whole time. And then, and you know, and something for people who are listening to this is like, you don't, you're not protected after your first shot, right? Mm -hmm. You're not, you're still, the way it works is, and I feel like they're not talking about this enough, is that with Pfizer and Moderna, you have your first shot, you have nothing. So like the people in the Capitol riots who got, you have nothing for the first few days. So like the people in the, or maybe you have 20%, but it's not, So like it's like AOC who got it that day. Right. Like, for example, there were a bunch of people at the Capitol riots who got sick with COVID, like representative job Paul, And it was because they had had the shot the day before. So you need it's like two weeks to get to 50 to 70 percent from the first shot. And then it's two weeks from the second shot to get to 94 percent. So. You really, there are a lot of people now you see who are getting it after the first shot because they think they have more immunity than they do. So it really is important that we, when we talk about these vaccines that we talk about that this is really a long game and that we have to be really careful. It, it really is, you know, it's like 60 days after the, the first shot.
0: Right. I feel like one of the I feel like one of the biggest things that was botched this whole pandemic is just the messaging. Oh, yeah. From like the maybe you should wear a mask, maybe you shouldn't. And now there's a that messaging about like people don't really know that they think they're fine after one shot. Um, But also like the idea of wearing two masks, like they've now said that you should be wearing two masks, but no one really... I just went to the post office like a few hours ago and not as I was the only person wearing two masks. And I'm like the two mask thing. I mean,
2: meanwhile, like you live in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like we're very lucky here because everybody's wears masks. We're not like in a place where people aren't wearing masks, but people are wearing masks like their noses are sticking out. They got the mask over here. You know,
0: I mean, I don't trust it unless it's like. Yeah, serious. thing. Yeah.
2: I mean, the mask, there's been no mask, you know, people wearing masks that look like, you know, don't look like masks. I mean, the number one spreader of of covid misinformation was Trump. Yeah. Right. So, like, I mean, it was a losing game. But I think what's been really cool is the Biden administration, I think, has really been killing it with the vaccines. And they're up to like two million a day vaccine days. Which means, remember, if we have 300 million people in America and we can get, you know, we need to get to like 250 million vaccinated in order to like not all die. So that is very cool. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think the Biden administration has just been so like quietly competent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's so refreshing it's and I'm fun. just I seriously hope that we get to keep it. And <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. It's like I just I just want the Democrats to like get on making sure that that we do. All right, Molly, thank you so much. We are gonna do our four questions. Okay, awesome. Okay, what is your happiest memory?
2: Uh, My happiest memory in like my whole life. Your whole life. It's funny because it's like I've had a lot of really happy memories in my life. And I have these, I had this wonderful grandmother who I was very close to, who I would, who was married to Howard Fast, who was this communist writer who was was jailed during the House of American Activities. And his wife would, like my grandmother would take care of me and I would stay there and she would bake me um, these tiny squares of carrot cake that she would cut into tiny pieces because they had less calories if they were tiny. <laughs> and we'd watch Murder, She Wrote. And then I would go to sleep in their guest room and I would wake up to hear my grandfather on the typewriter. He had, he worked on a typewriter and very, the sort of clacking of the keys at six o'clock in the morning. And so I would say that was one of my happiest memories.
0: That's really sweet. I feel like, yeah, I can relate to having a great grandmother, not a great grandmother, but an amazing grandmother who really, it's very special. So that's very nice. Okay. Next question. If you could go on vacation with two any two people, dead or alive, who would they be and where would you go?
2: I might go to Italy with my daughter. I love my daughter and my mother. That's like my favorite thing. That would be that sounds like a great answer. Yeah, I love I love them both so much. And like it would that would be really fun for me. You know, that's
0: really sweet. A lot of familial answers. I like it. What are you horrible at and cannot be trusted with ever? Spelling. Okay. I'm horrible at spelling. Wait, wait,
2: wait. It's tough for a writer. I'm bad at um, driving and spelling and like all domestic stuff like making fires I can grocery shop but like I'm very flaky I can't cook I can't really fold anything I've tried to fold things; it's been a disaster I can't I, I can't do a lot of things I'm very good at dog walking but otherwise I have no almost no skills I can't ride a bike I can't um I can't fix anything. And I have a lot of trouble changing batteries. You know, I'm like actually quite klutzy. So I like hit my head on things and I'm constantly, I've broken my toe like 15 times. So uh, I'm not so good at some things. You know, you've had a much easier time with this question than the other. I'm very like left brain, right brain, you know? So like I, I'm good at what I'm good at. I mean, I don't know how good I am, but I, I have some, you know, in some ways I'm good, but like m- part of my brain is just like, can't do like a lot of things. And even like with driving, I've had so many car accidents because I have really bad. No, no. Like a lot of car. Like even I took a rental car out this summer and I drove it once and I told I, I cost thousands of dollars in damage.
0: Are you not like afraid to drive? Like I would be no, too afraid I to, drive. to drive. love to
2: drive, but I know that I shouldn't. So <laughs> I-, I try not to, but I love it. I think it's very fun, but it I is have- fun. It's really fun, but I have very bad. Something is wrong with my vision and my depth perception. And then when I start to get freaked out, I just stop whatever I'm doing. So (laughs) I've hit so many things. It's just like a very. So, yes, I'm a terrible. Do not let me drive. I mean, or do let me drive. (laughs) Okay. last
0: question. If you could this might might be harder. If you could magically change anything about
2: the world, like what would what would you change? I would child poverty. And that's a thing that, like, is actually a thing that we could do now, right now. Which Jeff Bezos could do it. Just him. <laughs> well, even, yes, he could, though I think he won't. But um, even, like, Janet Yellen talks a lot about this, and we're, we have this idea that I'm hoping will, will really happen, uh, this idea of these child savings. These, these sort of, we're not supposed to call them tax credits, but basically we pay people to raise our kids. And the the economy on this is really good. Like kids get out of poverty, they grow up, they eat food, they are able to like get jobs and live in the world. And as you know, we are in this very rich country. And the idea to me that we could conceivably do this is very exciting. So if I could do one thing, it would be child poverty. I mean, look, are there other things that I think that we should do, like the planet and human rights. And there's a lot of stuff, but like child poverty seems like something that we could actually, I mean, certainly in America. And, and, and I think that that's the kind of idea that's sticky that could get picked up in other places in the world. I think that would be very exciting. I like that practical attainable.
0: Yeah. Important great answer Good. right thank you so much molly it has been such a pleasure to have you and to chat about all these crazy things that are happening
2: <laughs> thanks i can't wait to borrow your car oh Just
0: kidding yeah one day
2: yes exactly yeah. oh look wait wait
0: you want to see a dog yes oh,
2: this is my little prince oh
0: my gosh you have a lot of dogs right three yes three That's amazing. I now have two. I just discovered that um, Real Housewife of Beverly Hills Kyle Richards has six dogs. That's like a jungle. That is amazing. I would love to have that if I ever leave this city. That's the
2: best thing I've ever heard. Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to today's Afternoon Tea. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can help us grow by heading over to the feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe or follow if you're listening on Spotify. Until next Friday, I'm Sammy Sage, and this has been your Political Therapy Session. Afternoon Tea is brought to you by The Betches Sup. Our producers are Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales, Stacey Wong, and Nicole Pellegrino. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Our editor is Stacey Wong. Be sure to follow Morning Announcements on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss a morning news update. Batches.